Welcome to the Ralph Moore Podcast. Gain the leadership advantage as Ralph pulls wisdom from his bag of over 50 years experience in planting and leading multiplying churches. Our goal is to help you live as a leader you'd want to follow. You'll learn about making disciples and planting churches, but beyond that, you'll gain practical wisdom about subjects like how to manage your team, handling difficult people, pulling a congregation off a growth plateau, and even money management. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. This is actually part one of a four-part podcast, which is a little unusual for me uh, because it was kind of planned to be a four-part podcast. And we're interviewing a a third-generation pastor from uh, Hope Chapel, Kaneohe Bay, where I was a pastor. I discipled a guy named John Honnold, who planted a bunch of churches and is planting microchurches today. He's coaching one of his original disciples, a man named Kenneth McCuakani. And Ken is an interesting guy. He's won more than 40, uh, what in Hawaii we call Hoku Awards, which is kind of like a Grammy in the mainland United States. And as we look at Ken and, and the things he's doing, he, he won three Hoku Awards last year. He's a Waikiki entertainer. He's also pastoring one of the three oldest congregations in the state of Hawaii. And it's the church that almost all Hawaiians, whether they go to church or not, are calling my church, which is very, very significant. It ties the greatest transformation, spiritual transformation in history, which was that of the Hawaiian Islands in the 1700s, uh, per capita, uh, the most penetrating spiritual movement that ever happened. It ties the work of those original missionaries to what we did coming there in the 1980s. There have been actually three church planting movements in Hawaii, perhaps four. Uh, the first one would be the one that I'm referencing, that of the missionaries. The second one would be church planting among Japanese Americans, um, Japanese uh, who came to work the sugar plantations. The man who drove that was a man named Takie Okumura, and there's still a church today, Makiki Christian Church, that comes from that awakening. Uh, the next one would be in the, from the 1940s to the early 1980s or late 1970s, um, mostly centered on a church called Olivet Baptist Church, which planted about 40 churches. They kind of stopped right around when we came in 1983, and we planted uh, 69 churches. Wayne Cordero came and became a part of that process. Actually, we sent 110 people to help him on the first Sunday. Uh, to get going. Uh, They planted 69 churches in the same amount of time, and theirs are a little bit larger than ours. But I think this is very significant, the way this thing all ties together. And so this is part one of something that's really extremely significant to me. I hope it blesses you, and I hope that you'll stick around for all four. This is a very, very interesting and exciting one for me. Uh, It's a little bit of a follow-on with my relationship with one of my closest friends in life, John Honnold, and uh, how we got going. And and you heard about that just a few weeks ago on the podcast that John and I did. But today, we're we're passing the baton one more generation. And uh, actually, we did it a long time ago uh, because we're all old and have gray hair now. (laughs) But uh, we have uh, Kenneth McCook-Carney with us, who um, was in Hope Chapel as a young man. Uh, I was discipling John. 
uh, discipling John as a staff member later on. And then John was discipling Ken uh, for a little while. Ken was in a mini church with, with my wife and myself. And so we go back. And so this is just an example of three generations of disciple making and how it pays off. And the really cool thing is that in Hawaii in the in the 1700s, there was a massive spiritual awakening. In fact, uh, in terms of per capita, the way it touched the population, the greatest spiritual awakening in the history of the world, uh, greater penetration of the gospel into a population than anywhere at any time. But uh, there was a, a, another awakening that I would identify in the, in the 1940s to about 1970-something. Uh, just before we came there, there's quite a bit of church planting. There are a lot of mergers, but quite a bit of church planting following the Second World War. Uh, churches that were mono-ethnic uh, decided to merge together and, and try to, you know, deal with the racism and all of that. And in a way, that actually set the church back. The, the, the church shrank in numbers, but then new churches got started. Uh, there was a, a church called Olivet Baptist Church. They planted about 40 churches. They stopped doing that in the early 1980s. And that's when we arrived. And from, from our first church plant in Kaneohe, Hawaii, uh, we started 69 churches. Uh, Wayne Cordero moved over to the islands, uh, back to where he grew up as a child. They started 69 churches, and the, the same number of churches, there's a little bigger than ours. But uh, it really touched off a spiritual awakening. When we went to Hawaii, it was against the law to meet in public school, although three or four churches were in schools. And by the time that I started the last church that I planted, I was 66 years old, and had handed off the big church and uh, couldn't find a public school to meet in. There was a church in every school, and uh, there was actually three churches in some of the schools. There's 685 schools in the, in the state. So that tells you something about another wave of spiritual awakening. It all was accompanied by church multiplication in, in every every sense. It was always uh, uh, evangelism linked with church multiplication. And so I think it's really significant that we have Ken McCook-Connie with us today uh, because he's pastoring one of the original churches from the 1700s and the, the original missionaries, what they did. And uh, I, I think it's really a wonderful link. I, I look at it personally as my friendship with Ken and John and, and then it being a link to some of my heroes that I was reading about before I moved to Hawaii. So um, Ken, welcome to the podcast. John, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here. Well, it's really nice to be here, and I, you know, Ralph, we've we've known each other for a very long time. You know, I, I moved when I first moved to Honolulu um, from Maui. Actually, before can I just say this? Before I even moved to Honolulu, one of my friends was going to your church, and so um, I, I was playing music at the time. And I, you know, in my mid twenties, and, and my friend said, "Hey, come to my church." And my first experience with Ralph Moore was sitting in there. And just waiting for a sermon to happen. Instead, Ralph Moore blasted the church for uh, for speaking of a, uh, for for the church being so nosy as to talk about a situation that he quelled the the week before. And 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 I went, man, that's the kind of pastor I would love to um, to go to church and, and and listen to because he was so real. And I was telling my friend this, and of, and then two years later. I moved to Honolulu, and of course, the first thing I did was look for your church, which wasn't at the same place. Uh, it it just so happened to have moved. I think it was from Kapunahala to uh, Ben Parker, right. and and that's when I started. And here it it was yes, I was a young guy, really impressionable, 
got into John Honnold's um, worship team because I played music. And as you talk about Kauai Ha'o Church, I can't believe that I'm even in the same conversation with you and John, because I never would have imagined myself being a pastor. I always thought that being a worship leader would be like the epitome, because I was a worship team uh, member, never a worship leader. So I never expected to be a pastor. And now I pastor um, the largest and oldest Hawaiian church um, in Hawaii. So actually, the missionaries came in 1819 and uh, well, left Boston Harbor in 1819, got to um, Hawaii and set up three churches. And one of those three original churches is the church that I pastor, which is the largest Hawaiian church, um, is Kwai Ha'o Church. And it was developed, nurtured by the Ali'i or the monarchs or the chiefs or the kings and queens of the time. So it, it's actually called the Ali'i Church, the, the Church of the Monarchs. They built it, um, and they they were born there. They were baptized there. They they led the choir they, or sang in the choir. Um, they led Bible, Bible study classes and Sunday school classes. So our monarchs um, served there um, all of their lives. And so it, was, it still is the most revered church in all of Hawaii. You know, let me just... Uh... For the people who are listening who don't understand the history of Hawaii, um, when when the missionaries came, it was the kingdom of Hawaii. It had just been um, kind of the the, the the nation of Hawaii had been established. Uh, mm-hmm. There had been conquests from the Big Island all the way to Oahu. Uh, for a long time, Kauai was left out of that. And um, and so when, when Ken talks about the ali'i, these are the Hawaiian royalty. These are the kings and queens. And if you go to uh, uh, Kauai Ao Church today, um, you see pictures of them all over the walls. You see uh, the pews where they sat. And like you said, they, they were ordinary church members. And in, in the gospel has that effect on people. And so very, very significant that uh, you're, you're leading this church. I, I want to come back to this a, a little bit as we get going. But um, talk, talk to me a little bit about how you got involved with John. John, you speak into this. Yeah. And, and then, John, you tell us a little bit about uh, Ken, because I, I just knew Ken as a, as a worship guy. I was new to Hawaii, and I didn't understand uh, the culture. You know, one of the things that people, again, listening, if you go to Hawaii today, it went from being uh, a kingdom to being a territory of the United States, much like Puerto Rico is today. And then in 1959, it achieved statehood. Uh, something has become uh, kind of upsetting to a lot of people today. Um, in 1959, there's a lot of rejoicing going on about we finally made it. And then we begin to see the world a little differently than we do. And there's almost a rising nationalism that's going on. But in Hawaii, you have uh, you have a publishing industry, you have a music industry. Uh, you got a lot of things that the mainland has, but but Hawaii has its own. It, it, it's almost like it's another country in some ways. And so I'm new. I don't know anything. I see this guy, Kim Mukokani, and nice guy, and he's up there helping John with the band. Uh, John, talk about that, and, and then talk about, uh, I, I want you to talk about speaking into Ken's life, but tell us the part that he's not telling us about okay. music and Ken Mukokani. Well, Ken came to us. And, and, and I, you know, you know, what you did is you created a place where, you know, us guys who just, you know, were, were young guns in, in music. I was a guy that played music in a little club in Kailua. Kenny was one of the big names just that was out there already. But um, here's what I found out about Ken very early. Ken was a guy that you talk to any local musician in Hawaii to this day. 
And they all just love this man because what Ken does is um, is he creates an environment where he brings out the best in other musicians. You know, you need a background player, he'll play. You need a recording engineer, he'll do it. You need someone to write some music. And so most of the major hits and talents over decades of Hawaiian music, Ken is somewhere in the history of what's going on. I mean, he's he's got over 40 hokus, which is the local version of the Grammys. He went, he just won three this year. And, wait, 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 wait. wait. He's pastoring the largest Hawaiian church in the state, and he won three Hoko Awards, which are the equivalent of the Grammys. Yeah, just this year. Out a little bit. Well, he's still active in the in the in the local Hawaiian industry, and what he's still doing is he he plays music, he writes. He's one of the guys that um, who's that guy? Um, Ken, we always I always tease you the guy from Hee Haw, the guy who you could throw out a line and then the guy would make no, it's Glenn Campbell or one of those guys, the artist. Basically, you throw out any word to Ken, and he'll write a song in 30 seconds that's just something that god has gifted him with but um yeah so he got three hokus this year he's constantly being called um um from local musicians to say hey ken i need your help or i'm stuck or can you help me move this and go through it and so when i met ken in the 80s i began i got introduced not only to this incredible voice incredible musician who could play any instrument well um and left-handed which is kind of cool nothing cooler than a guy who's left-handed and plays bass and um and that was ken but he instantly took our music at hope chapel to the next level you know he he started challenging me saying hey we should do recordings so we he did our first uh, live recording um, and we did it in a school cafeteria, and that 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 album is just it was gangbusters because we finally to took the original I, music I, I of Mark to and I. You remember that, today. right? Yeah. Ken wrote some, and we we finally had it was some of the music that was out there, but it was mostly Ken's idea was no, 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 let's feature the music that you guys write. So yeah. that's how we kind of entered the scene and subsequently ken was a part of 10 years of incredible production of studio and live recordings for hope um kanioi but not only that but ken it was just really big on bringing friends in that didn't know the lord who got saved in our church but you know and we let them play in the band um ken also spoke into the quality of how we did music and again everything about ken was if you're here ken mokuya Connie gets involved and then you're up here. Um, and but he still shared the value that everybody plays. He would poo-poo on us even when we say, Oh, that guy can't really sing. He goes, There's a way to work the guy in. And you know, it's just like, and he taught us about stage presence, he taught us about just but really keeping us focused as a young worship director on, hey, we're singing to the Lord. This is about singing to Jesus. And so I, you know, I can I consider him one of the guys to help shape even my worship philosophy that we designed for Hope Chapel in the 80s. So in a way, Ken was discipling you while yeah. you were discipling him in Jesus. I, I want, Ken, let's come back to you. Talk, talk a little bit about, and then John, I want you to do this because we didn't do this in the previous call. I, I want you to talk a little bit about how you came to the Lord, you know, pre-Hope Chapel. What, what was your experience in, in the Lord and in church pre-Hope Chapel? Um, I come from a long history of pastors, so I'm a PK. Um, but after high school, I went on my own, and then I was on my own because I didn't need anybody. And then at age 22, I was I was playing in some of the resorts around the islands, and something inside me said, you know, you got to go back to church. And I fought it for some months. And then I finally found this little church um, that was on the golf course. Um, they, it, w- it was just a pastor from, uh, from 
LA, from Huntington Beach, I think he was from. And what they did was they they worshipped in a cart barn, which means it was on the golf course and it was the cart barn. So you got to take the 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 golf carts out of the barn and then clean it up, put all of your stuff in for church, and then. When you finish, take all your stuff out and put it back in a storage place a couple miles away. Put the thing, put all the carts back in the cart barn, and that was church. And um, the first time I came in uh, just to worship, somebody saw me and they went, hey, we need we need a guitar player. Would you be able to come and play? So I said, sure. So next the next week, I brought my guitar. I plugged in and I played. And then I unplugged after and I left. And then I came back the next week and I and I plugged in and I played because you know church songs so easy and I got three chords maybe four chords if you're lucky and and then I unplugged and I was ready to leave and the worship leader said wait 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 so how do you like how do you like being on the worship team I said oh well I, I love it this is kind of fun he goes well let me tell you what church is all about if you really want to be on the worship team this is what we do church starts at ten but work st- work starts at five <laughs> you come you have to come at five in the morning go down go down to our storage take out all the sound system the the yeah. the chairs the the pulpit thingy the, the everything else and we have to come back take out all the carts clean it up put all our stuff in practice do do our devotionals you know our, our gatherings and then welcome people as they come in play our music and then then do the reverse. So by the time you finish, it'll be about maybe 12, 30, 1 o'clock. <laughs> and my eyes were like, what? Uh, but he said, no, that's that's how we do church. And I said, well, let me try. And that was the beginning of me as a young man worshiping and going, that's church. So I started to go to different other churches afterwards. But, you know, they were the easy kind. You just walk in and give your dollar and then you leave. And then when I walked into Ralph Moore's church, you were exactly the same thing as the church I just came from. And I went, that's church. Because if you cannot serve, well, I mean, what's the sense? I, I didn't come here to be served, but I came here to serve. And and you did everything right. I mean, John keeps talking about me playing music. Okay, whatever. But Ralph Moore, you know how he did the first album? Ralph Moore immediately said, what do you need? And I went, well, I have equipment, but I don't I don't have a space. He goes, Hope Chapel will rent a space for you. How long do you need it for? I said, I don't know, three months so we can make the album. And Ralph Moore put the money in to rent a space that I could create a recording studio so so that I could do overdubbing with the with the musicians and, and mix down the product and stuff. So your our church, I want to call it our church, was the one who actually set me up. It was actually my very first recording studio. And I've had multiple recording studios after that. But it was because Hope Chapel actually lifted me up to to start a, a, my own recording studio that I, I got more into the recording aspect of it. So all of these things were planting and, and, and they were nurturing grounds for, for my career. You know, Ralph, creating an environment with this that where, you know, the whole idea, you you know, you guys that are watching, hearing it, this isn't something that we make up where it just sounds good on it. We're a one and done. We've always felt like um, recognize the genius in everybody else around you and um, and 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 just get out of their way. You know, it's just like you, you know, if 
we're spiritual. Yeah, we're going to raise him in the Lord. My my privilege with Ken was to put the guardrails of spirituality into his life, make sure there's consistency. But I'm not telling professional musicians how to play music. Yeah, I'm the young worship director, but I know that these guys have talent beyond my years. But my privilege as the worship director was to, to take the talent, put the boundaries in, and then get the heck out of their way. And then what Ralph did for us early on is he said, what do you need, John? And then he provided money, you know, and it was, and that's Ralph. I don't know if you've ever heard that from Ken, but it, the whole, what he does in production, we were the major part of that. You know, as you're, as you're talking about that, um, there, there's two or three things that come to mind. One is I, I learned from a guy named Carl George a long time ago, that if you want the church to grow, remove the growth risking obstacles. So I'd be always monitoring the parking. How full is the parking lot? Where can I find more parking for these people? Yeah. Because that's a growth restricting obstacle. Uh, Ken comes up with this idea of we record our own music, do an album, which we did a whole bunch of because of it. But the growth restricting ob- obstacle was that there was no studio for him to do the the overdubbing. And so to, to me, this idea of equipping the saints to do the work of ministry isn't just the way I teach the Bible or the way that we did mini church. It's it's equipping in every way, physical ways as well. You know, we paid for people to go to school, uh, actually paid for college tuition before. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I'm really proud of is a guy named Ron Chambers, who is teaching uh, video in public schools. He ran, he started out as a volunteer in our bookstore, ended up our first video we ever showed in church. Somebody came in from, I don't know, the Philippines or somewhere, and we wanted to record their testimony. So we went to Long, uh, CVS drugstore. You could rent a video camera for 10 bucks a day. And we rented a camera and we had to do four takes because we had no ability to edit. And so a guy's trying to give a three-minute testimony. You got to do it four times over until we finally got it right. So we could just show that little part of it. We we couldn't even shorten things. We had to we had to sync it to the right place and then show it and and turn it up. That was the way it happened. Ron helped us that day. Well, that grew into this huge studio and all this production. And today, Ron teaches that stuff in a public school. He 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 came to a point where it's just like I've done all I can do in inside of our church. He stayed in the church, but he went and got a job in the, in the school system. There's another uh, young guy named Dustin. I forget his last name, but he is uh, uh, works in video production in um, Los Angeles, in Honolulu, in Hollywood. Uh, one, one of the young guys, Danny Doyle, writes music for Hollywood. Uh, Brian Clay, uh, the you know the Catalan winner, uh, used to run the sound system in, in Hope Chapel, although we really didn't help his athletic ability. But the values that, that we've touched on, even now, everybody plays. You know, that Ken was strong in that. Everybody plays. That That's soaked in. Uh, we're, we're equipping. We're, we're pushing junk out of the way. Uh, that, that the person who's the older, more mature person in Christ can still learn from the younger. Because I think that whenever we're in a discipling relationship, Jesus is discipling us. And it should touch on all of our lives. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and check his blog at ralphmoore.net.